You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. This is the last, this is the fourth of four weeks on Romans 8. I know you've been excited about me teaching on the encouragement and the power of the Spirit, that the primary role of the Spirit is to encourage us so that we can get through the trials of life, so that we get through our faith, so that we can be encouraged. And this is the last chunk of verses in that. And in this chunk of verses is the song that I sang. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels. And you know how it goes. You have to go back four talks to hear the whole thing. But basically, this is a massive chapter in the biggest theological book of the Bible. It's the pinnacle of Paul's teaching. And, and, and he has the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And that the primary role of the Holy Spirit... Who are you waving at? The primary Misha... Am I in the way? I don't mean to get in the way. You okay? Wait a minute. What's up, Misha? Oh, nothing. What's going on, Sabrina? How you doing? I'm doing good. Where's Alex? Oh, he's in the bathroom. Oh, there's Alex. How you doing? I know. Anyway, the, 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 Paul's teaching on the the, the the primary role of the Holy Spirit. The reason that it was good for Jesus to go, so that the Spirit could be with us, is that we need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And this is the very end of the chapter where Paul is kind of nailing the nails in the coffin of why this is so important. And what I want to talk about today is how does the Holy Spirit do this? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Or who, I don't know. I mean, they're making me do points now with my talks. And so I have to squeeze like my thoughts into like bullet points. So the first bullet point is how does the Holy Spirit do this? I have to really, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm going to try, like, how does the Holy Spirit do this? What is the Holy Spirit doing? Kind of, who is the Holy Spirit pointing us to that brings us this encouragement? Okay, so that's the first point. The second point is, why do we need this? Like, why can't there just be, like, one download of the Holy Spirit? Gosh, that's a charismatic Pentecostal term, download. Everyone uses it now. But anyway, but why can't we have this, like, one massive filling of the Spirit right when we become a Christian just kind of be off on our way? Paul doesn't say that. Paul says we have to be encouraged again and again and again. Why is that? Why is that? So the first question, how does the Holy Spirit do this? We're going to read these scriptures, the first, this chunk of scripture. I'm going to tell you how he does that. But before I do that, no, I'm going to read the scripture. Romans 8. I told you I don't have time to do my whole talk, so I'm just going for it here. Romans 8, 31 to 39 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So what song is this? We sang this today. Wave after wave, brave, you make me brave. This is what that song, this is the scripture that that song is from, okay? What makes us brave? The Spirit reminding us. What makes us come into the ocean to be crashed over with the waves of God's love to experience His grace and mercy? The Holy Spirit does. And Paul's telling us this right now. What then shall we say? Say, these th- say to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us, for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who intercedes for us? Who is? So he's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That's just a hint about who the Holy Spirit and how he does this, okay? That's just a hint. All right, who shall separate? And then he goes, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, 
or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword. By the way, Paul went through every single one of those. Those were not an abstract list. Those are things that Paul was, went through, specific things. When you read the life of Paul, he went through every one of those things. He says, as it is written, for, you, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, come now through the power of your spirit and open our eyes to read and understand your truth and live differently. Amen. So how is Paul so sure? If God is for me, who can be against me? Nothing can separate me from the love of God. If these things, all the crap in my life that I've been through, I didn't just get through them. I, conquer, I'm, I didn't just conquer them. I crushed them, is what the language says here. I dominated. I crushed dominated these things. I crushed dominated the tribulations. I crushed dominated distress, persecution. I, I lived through them all. What makes, it, what makes it possible for Paul to say those things? Because, I mean, those things coming into my life, and I feel like they kind of crush, dominate me, and I just kind of barely make it through them, if I'm honest. The trials, the tribulation, the persecution that we experience in life. I mean, if we're honest, if you're like me, I still struggle with loneliness. I still struggle. I still, want, I still feel like I can barely get my head above the water. So what is it that's different with Paul? What is it? What's happened with Paul's encounter with the Spirit that's so powerful that allows him to get through these things? I want to read you a quote. It was in my devotional today. Um, It says this. It's by Andrew Murray. He says this. Relationships between friends and family depend entirely on their love for one another. What value is there in riches when there is no love between husband and wife or parent and child? And what value is there in knowledge and favor, fervor of God's work without the knowledge and experience of God's love? The one thing that you need when you are practicing fellowship with God is to know by experience how much God loves you and to learn how to remain and continue in that love. What did Paul know? What did he experience? He had an ongoing expectation and experience of God's love in his life that the Holy Spirit was reminding him of. And it wasn't a general knowledge that God loves you. I mean, today, in today's culture, it's popular, isn't it, to say, well, I can kind of live like I want because God loves me. I can do what I want because God loves me. I can become who I want because God loves me and he's accepting and let's just go for it. But that's so generalized. Does that make you feel loved? Is that enough? No, it's not enough. The Holy Spirit knows that it's not enough. When the Holy Spirit ministers to Paul, he doesn't just come and and encourage him, remind him, hey, God loves you. No. What he does, when we read this in the scripture here, he says, who can be against me? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also give give him graciously, given us all things? He points to Jesus. He qualifies the father's love. He says, how much does God love you? How precious are you that he crushed his son for you? And he makes it personal for you. In a general sense, God does love all the world, but he especially loves you. 
How do you know that? How did Paul know that? Because you hear Paul all through the New Testament, all of his trials going back to Jesus Christ again, because Christ crucified, because Christ did this, because Christ did that, because God did not spare his son, that he allowed his son to suffer and die because he loved you. And that makes his love something. That makes, and so what's the Holy Spirit, or what's, the, what's the question I'm supposed to be answering? How does the Holy Spirit do this? How does the Holy Spirit encourage Paul? He points Paul back to the cross. He brings Paul back to the need for the cross. His brokenness, his depravity, See, this is the problem without believing in hell. This is the problem without the believing in our own brokenness. This is the problem without believing that there's, there's such a thing as God's wrath and God's judgment, is that it minimizes his love and the work of the cross. Because if we don't believe those things, we don't, have to, we don't believe we need a savior. We don't believe we need Jesus. We don't believe that there's value in the work and the, and, and, and the, um, and the death of what he's done for us on the cross. Does that make sense? It's kind of like if I said, oh, man, I love you guys. Man, we're family. Me and you. You know, we are like, we're family. Like, I love you. And you would probably think, man, Antley loves us. He's supposed to because that's his job. But I really believe it. But let's say we were walking one day along the side of the road, me, you, and one of my children. And a car was coming. And I had a choice to make on who I was going to save. And instead of saving my child, I rescued you. And it cost my child his life. And I said, I love you. That would mean a whole lot more, wouldn't it? Because it cost me something. God's love cost him something. And that love, the Holy Spirit points Paul back to the cross and reminds him again and again and again. He doesn't love you. The Father doesn't love you in a general sense. He loves you in a specific sense that he has taken all the wrath, all the brokenness, all the, all the death that you deserved and heaped it on his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could rescue you, so that you could know his love. In Romans 5, 6 to 9, it says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be, shall we be, be saved by him from the wrath of God? That the death that you deserved that the wrath that you deserved, the separation from God that you deserved went unto Jesus Christ and he took it from you and took it away forever. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. Paul is able to conquer these trials because the Holy Spirit reminds him of these truths about Jesus Christ in the cross. If you're struggling with the trials of life and wondering if the Father loves you, it's back to Jesus. It's back to the basics. It's back to the cross to allow him to remind you of the sacrifice and the price that Jesus has paid to show you the love the Father has for you. That it's qualified in a very costly life. And so why do we need this encouragement? Why do we need to be reminded of this? One author says it this way. 
when you first think about becoming a Christian, you kind of ask this question, don't you? Like, is this worth it? And I know some of you here today are, 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 are wrestling with this. Is God really worth it? I, I mean, what, am I, what do I have in store? Like, is giving up what I have right now worth what I'm going to get if I follow Jesus Christ? I mean, I'm not, I mean, I might not be able to sleep with who I want, when I want, and how I want, right? I might have to give away a chunk of my money. Is that really worth it? Is God really worth it? That's the question we all begin with when we're given the option of following Jesus Christ. Is what I'm going to get worth what I have or better than what I have now? And one author says that it's like if you walk up to a little boy who's playing in a mud puddle. And, and, and this little boy has only seen a mud puddle. He's only, his only experience of any water, any body of water has been a mud puddle, right? And, and, and you walk up to him and say, hey, I'd like to take you to the ocean. And, and what, does the little, what does this little six-year-old boy say? He says, well, well what's the ocean like? He's, he's trying to engage his imagination. He's never, never seen the ocean. And you're like, oh, man, it's, just like, it's, it's, it's like your mud puddle, but it's bigger, He's like, oh, well, it, 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 is, is it like, is, is there edges to it? Is there sides to it? Do you get dirty in it? He goes, no, 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 no. It's like there's waves and there's wind and it's deep and it's beautiful. You can't see the edges of it. It's, it's like you can swim in it. And, and you're trying to explain to the little five or six-year-old boy, like, what's the ocean like? But because his experience has only been this mud puddle, he can't even get his head around it, can he? And so he's like, well, is it fun? I mean, I don't know if I want to leave my mud puddle. I like my mud puddle. And, and it's, it's because he, he's lacking imagination. It's because he's lacking experience, right? He's never seen the ocean. And so you can talk to him till you're blue in the face. But because that is his only experience, he's going to have a hard time getting over the hurdle. I mean, we've all done this with our kids. Like, just come. You're going to like it. You know, when you kind of grab him and take him to the car right? Just trust me, you're going to love this. Just eat it, you'll like it. And, and because we, our children, as when we're little, we have this truncated imagination, it prevents us from experiencing more that's out there. Well, this, the same is true with our faith. We tell people about Jesus Christ, and those of you who are today struggling with this question, is it worth it? You're like the little kid at the mud puddle, to some degree, because you haven't experienced more. This is all you've ever seen. This is all you've ever known. You have to get over that hurdle, right? So that you can experience more. But to experience more, you have to leave the mud puddle. But it's the same thing. It's your imagination, your experience. It's truncated. It's limiting you to the full possibilities of what God has. So what happens? The Holy, Paul says the Holy Spirit comes. He comes and he helps us get over that first hurdle of whether this is what, is this worth it? And we, each one of us, any of us who are following Jesus Christ have gone through this, haven't we? We've all struggled with this. We've all wrestled with this. It's very, it's, it's part of our journey. But with the Holy Spirit, it's the beginning part of the journey for him. It's the first thing that happens. And then what happens? We get inside the kingdom. We, we get over that somehow, some way, The Holy Spirit gets us over that hurdle. We begin to follow Jesus Christ. And what's the next thing the Holy Spirit does? Paul says that he reminds us there's no condemnation, right? He he reminds us, and we've been through all this in the chapter of of Romans. You're not a slave anymore. You've actually been adopted as a son, and your spirit cries out, Abba, Father. 
and that he wants you to see him as a father, as a daddy, that he loves you, right? And so that's the next, and that's called the journey of sanctification, of the Holy Spirit moving alongside of us, making us more like Jesus. And that's kind of the in-between time. But then this is what happens. And this is the scarier question. Eventually, if we're a Christian long enough, if we're a Christian long enough, as we mature in our relationship with Jesus, is what I have written down, as we mature in our relationship with Jesus, and we start experiencing his glory, his power, we're out in the ocean, we're loving the ocean, we're loving the kingdom of God, we're experiencing the kingdom of God, and we get closer and closer to his holiness, we get closer and closer to his heart, what begins to happen? The Spirit reveals more and more of our brokenness, more and more of our sin, more and more areas that we need to grow in. And then the terrifying question comes that is with us for the rest of our journey, which is, will God stick with me? Am I worth it? Will God stick with me? Am I worth it? And we go through times of silence where we don't hear him. We go through times of pain or struggle or tribulation or persecution like Paul, and we wonder, has God left me? Has God left me? Is he, is he, is, am I still worth it? And the Holy Spirit comes and says, there's no condemnation. You're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. He says, you're a son, you're a daughter. You belong to my father. And remember, the, what, the, the setting of the chapter 8 is a legal setting. And when Paul talks about Jesus being our advocate in heaven... The word that's used for Jesus is lawyer. And you don't need a lawyer if you're going to throw yourself on the mercy of the courts, do you? If you're going to throw yourself on the mercy of the courts, I'm guilty, just give me your mercy, just give me your, your mercy, give me your mercy. We don't need a lawyer for that. If you're fighting your case, if you're pleading your case, you need a lawyer. And what we're told in this, and I taught in this on this, in the second or third week, I taught about Jesus as our advocate is up there in heaven praying for us, talking to the Father about us. And when our sin comes before him, he's saying, no, 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 no. This isn't about mercy. This isn't even about love. That's what the cross is about. This is about justice. And my Father's justice is perfect. And Jesus is up in heaven and he's advocating for us, saying, no, I've paid for that sin. I've bought you once already. I don't need to pay for that again. Father, you have to. Your justice is perfect. You have to pardon Antley again and again and again and again. And we get this beautiful picture of God pouring out on us this desire to become more and more and more filled with his spirit and his love, needing more and more and more of his spirit and our love. And Jesus, up in heaven the whole time, the one who died for us, the Holy Spirit, bringing us back to him, advocating for us, defending us, fighting for us, because he loves us. So the role of the spirit is to, yes, both convince us, convince us, that yes, Jesus is worth it, but also, so are you. So are you, that you're worth it. And he's advocating for you right now in heaven, defending you right now in heaven. Let's stand.